Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's still 2020, and thanks to COVID-19, we join each other via Zoom to bring you the second installment of a six-part Suspensorama featuring suspense episodes selected by you, our mysterious listeners. Kitty writes, I humbly request Dime a Dance from Suspense starring Lucille Ball. I think it's a super creepy episode for the most part. I have thoughts, but would love to hear yours. Suspense aired on CBS from 1942 to 1962, racking up 946 episodes in total, most of which still exist today. Suspense specialized in edge-of-your-seat crime stories with an unexpected twist at the end. The program's smart scripts and high production values attracted A-list Hollywood actors, many of whom appeared multiple times throughout the program's 20-year history. One such star was Lucille Ball. In the 1940s, Lucille Ball was the queen of B-movies, starring in films like The Marines Fly High, The Dark Corner, and Dance Girl Dance. It was on the set of Dance Girl Dance that she met her future husband, Desi Arnaz. In 1948, Lucy landed the role of wacky housewife Liz Cooper in CBS Radio's My Favorite Husband, a comedy series that would become the template for Lucy and Desi's groundbreaking television sitcom, I Love Lucy. Between 1944 and 1951, Lucy appeared in six different suspense stories, including two with Desi Arnaz. Dime a Dance was adapted from a short story by William Irish, one of the pen names of suspense novelist Cornell Woolrich. Although never as critically acclaimed as Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler, Woolrich's doom-laden tales of suspense had a significant effect on film noir. Between 1938 and 1956, Hollywood adapted 17 of his novels and stories, including the short story It Had to Be Murder, better known by its film title Rear Window. Radio loved Woolrich, too. His stories found a home on Escape, Molay Mystery Theater, and Lux Radio Theater. However, no radio show fit Woolrich better than Suspense. Over the course of its 20-year history, Suspense featured a whopping 23 Woolrich stories, making him the program's most adapted author. And now, let's listen to Dime a Dance from Suspense. First broadcast, January 13th, 1944. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Roma Wines presents Suspense. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salud! Uh, your health, senor. Roma Wines toast the world. The wine for your table is Roma Wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. 
This is the Man in Black, here for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, to introduce this weekly half hour of Suspense. Tonight in Hollywood, Roma Wines bring you the MGM star, Miss Lucille Ball. The suspense play which stars Miss Ball, which is produced and directed by William Spear, is called Dime a Dance. It deals, as you will presently know, with Broadway life and sudden death, both set to music. And so with Dime a Dance and with the performance of Lucille Ball as a red-haired young lady named Ginger Allen, Roma Wines again hope to keep you in... Suspense. Have you ever danced with a murder? Doesn't cost any more for the extra thrill. It's only a dime. How could I do it, you say? I had to, to save my own life. I'm a taxi dancer from the Joyland Palace. One of the places just off Broadway in the 40s. You know the kind of place. Second-rate dance bands like Frankie Froman's 15 Frolickers. I was late to work that night. I ran down Broadway, scrambling through the crowd to the entrance of the Joyland. Fifty beautiful girls upstairs, boys. Come in and count them yourself. No admission, ten cents to dance. Come in, we're just getting started. The music is the very... Hello, Max. Hey, uh, Ginger, you better step on him. Marina's looking for you. You're late. He's burning. I know. Has Julie come in yet? Not yet. Fifty beautiful girls waiting to dance. We're just stepping right in. Oh, Good evening. So you finally decided to come, did you? Hiya, Marino. Sorry, I'm late. Yeah, you ought to be. And so did Julie. All the cash customers are waiting. I sent out the girls before all of you are here, and you say I'm playing favorites. Well, blame it on Julie. She gave me a stand-up tonight. All right, so I'll blame it on Julie. Where is she? Isn't she here? No, and she ain't home neither, because I phoned her there 15 minutes ago. I thought she was with you. And I thought she was here. Hey, if this is no gag, what happened to her? Well, that's what I'm beginning to wonder. Now, go on in and get your stuff on. Julie be all right. Yeah, maybe she slipped in while you were busy counting tickets or something. See you right away, Marino. We've been entertained by Mom here while waiting for... All right, lay off. Mom, throw me that foot powder. Looks like a heavy night out there. My feet still hurt from last night. Here you are, dearie. That's the way I am, girlie. What I like every once in a while is a good, juicy murder. Nice kid. No enough to be murdered herself. Throw me that dress, would you, Madame Defarge? The green one. Is Julie here? Not unless she's hiding in the closet, honey. Do any of you know where she is? You asking us? Ain't she your buddy? Maybe they had a fight. Well, did any of you hear from her? Why not ask Marino? He's been hanging around her. <laughs> now, that southern girl, Sally, she used to work in a joint like this one further uptown. There was a murder for you. Come on, hurry it up in there. Out in the She just never showed up to work one night. Who didn't? That southern girl, Sally. Then they found her. That was about three years ago. Oh, what a sight she was when the police discovered the body. Oh, cut it out, Mom. Then there was the Robinson gal out in oh. Brooklyn. After death, they found a phonograph and records by a body didn't even belong to her. The murderer brought his own music. Oh, she was a dance hall phony, too. Maybe some guy has it in for you, girl. Pleasant character. Well, maybe one fella kills the both of them. Maybe there's a dance hall killer still at large getting ready for his next victim. Now, what do you think I pay you girls for anyway? I often wonder. Joe <laughs> oh, Marino, think we're giving a free show in here? Ah, uh, you couldn't interest anybody in that chassis of yours even with a set of dishes thrown in. All right, all of you, file out. I got something to tell Ginger. Uh, come on, get out. Uh, Ginger, what I wanted to see you about. I know, I know, Marino. I put you in a spot. I'll be dressed in a minute, and if you'll ward off those garlic eaters tonight, I'll work twice as hard and make it up to you, honest. No, I'm in no spot, Ginger. 
But you are. Marino, what's the matter? What's happened? The police want to see you, Ginger. Police? What for? I didn't do anything. I'm sorry, Ginger, but... Something's happened to Julie. That's what the police want to see you by. Julie's dead. Dead? Murdered. Tonight in our suspense theater, death is a dancing thing. Roma Wines is bringing you Lucille Ball, a star of suspense, in the Cornell Woolrich story, Dime a Dance. have heard the prologue for tonight's tale of suspense. Before we return to the scene of our drama, let me say just this. Few spots on the globe boast the unique and perfect combination of nature's gifts, which makes possible truly good wine. Wine which the whole world can enjoy. But wine experts will tell you that among those fortunate spots, none can surpass the vineyards of our own California. From these renowned California vineyards come Roma wines. Wines so perfect in flavor, so delightful, that they are enjoyed in many countries of the world. To us in America, Roma wines are an everyday treat, for we may buy them at an astonishingly low price, since we pay no import duties or expensive shipping costs. Do you enjoy a delicious tangy sherry? Tomorrow, treat yourself to a glass of Roma California sherry. We're sure you will agree you've never tasted finer. With your first sip, you'll understand why Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. Tomorrow, ask your dealer for your favorite type of Roma wine. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now it is with pleasure that Roma wines bring back to our soundstage Miss Lucille Ball in Dime a Dance. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. All the way over in that police car with those two flat feet from homicide, I could see Marino's face when he said, murdered. Poor Marino. We got out and walked up to the third floor of the building, to Julie's room. Marino never said a word. All right, sister, in here. Is, is she, is she still in there? No, you won't have to look at her. Oh, how did it happen? Strangled. Well, why didn't she yell out? There were plenty of people around. Now, look, Ginger, we're asking the questions. Oh. Yeah, but since you raised it, we figured the person who could get close enough to kill her was someone she felt safe with. Yeah, she was murdered by someone she trusted, by a friend. Well, I was the only friend she had. Yeah, so they'd tell us. Unless she had a boyfriend. And who was her boyfriend? Yeah. If she was strangled, where did all the blood come from? Flatfoot didn't answer Marino. He shut up all at once, as if he didn't have the heart to tell us the rest of it. His eyes gave him away, though. I got the whole score just following his gaze around the room. First, he looked at the little phonograph. By using bamboo needles, she could play it late at night. Soft, you know, so no one could hear it. The needle was worn down halfway, all, all shredded as though it had been played over and over. Then his eyes wandered to a flat piece of paper that... It had eight or ten shiny new dimes on it. Some had little brown flecks on them. Then his eyes went down to the rug. It was all pleated up in places, especially along the edges, as though something heavy, something, something lifeless had been dragged back and forth over it. (laughs) 
danced with her after he killed her? Gave her a dime a dance even then? Now will you tell us? Who was her boyfriend? Play that record. Maybe she'll remember some guy they both knew who was kept on the piece. It was the only one he played. She hated it. She couldn't stand it. Someone brought that record here with him. Sure, someone did. Maybe her boyfriend, sort of. No boyfriend. It was someone who waited for her in that room in the dark and killed her before she could scream. It was the same madman who killed those two other dance hall girls. He pays a dime a dance. A dime a dance, whether you're alive or dead. Back at the grind. The flat feet let me go. Nobody told me anything. Sometime when you have nothing better to do, you try dancing with a couple of hundred guys a night, asking yourself each time one of them wraps his arms around you. Is this the killer? Has he a knife in his hand behind my back? Hey, uh, can I see you a minute? Got a ticket? Yeah, but I don't want to dance, Ginger. I want to talk. Well, it's your dime. Say, how do you know my name? What just happened to Who are you, anyway? Recognize those two guys leaning against the wall? The two flat feet? And I'm the third. Nick's the name. Well, what about Mer... Uh, about her boyfriend? Relax. We have proof it wasn't her boyfriend and wasn't you. Oh, then you expect him to show up again after what he's done already, huh? We just got the report on those other two girls. They were killed by a maniac who played poor butterfly. Also, the fingerprints in all three cases match. He'll keep it up until we get him. How do you know what he looks like? We don't. We only know he isn't through yet. That's why I was assigned to protect you. Protect me? Yep. <laughs> keep my eye on you all night while you work and then take you home right to your door. Now, uh, Marino knows about the other two dicks, but no one knows about me. Fact is, headquarters told me not to tell even you. Then why did you? <laughs> I just saw how touchy you are. I don't want you to misunderstand my intentions. Well, what if someone asks me who you are? I say I'm your new boyfriend. Oh, don't get smart. I never had a boyfriend. Good. Now you've got one. Oh, 35 girls on this musical chain gang. Why do you pick on me? Because we found out one more thing about the killer's habits. The two girls that were murdered before Julie both had red hair. Julie had red hair. Yeah. And so have you, baby. <gasps> was set up as victim number four. Nice thought. But every night, like the milkman, just when the girls filed out to feast the arms and eyes of the wolves, there was Nick. Now, that was some comfort. Nothing personal, you understand. It was also a comfort to see those other two flat feet on the job night after night. How's Ginger? Fine. How's Nick? Hey, you're four minutes late. Miss me? Oh, I'm just a taxpayer that wants to see a public servant earn his money. <laughs> if the city got broke, I'd do this job for nothing. Uh-oh. Your straw boss, Marino, is giving you the high sign. Oh, I'll go see what he wants. You wait here. It's on your mind, Marino. Say, who is that monkey hanging around you every night? Well, he pays for his tickets, doesn't he? Yeah, but he never uses them. Who is he? My boyfriend. Oh. You known him long? Long enough. 
Take care of yourself, Ginger. Don't worry, Marino. I know my way around, but thanks. Besides, we're not running any matrimonial bureau around here. You gotta spread yourself around a little more. Share the wealth. There's other customers. All right, all now, right. Watch her, will you? All right. What did what did he want? Oh, nothing. Nick, is there any news? You know, it's a month since Judy. No, was... no, no, no. Calm down, Redhead. Yeah, that's just it. That red hair. Look, why won't you let me dye it? Oh, I've got my reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You great, big, silent, strong cop. <laughs> That's right. Those cops. And then came that night. That horrible night. I was late as usual, got to the dressing room, planning to dress in no seconds flat so I could get out on the floor and be with Nick. Somehow, I felt that I was going to need him that night. Some instinct told me it was a matter of life or death. Since the last one. What I like every once in a while is a good, juicy murder. Now, Mom, slap it up. What do you think I'd pay you for? Anyway. Who are you looking out the door for, Ginger? Now, you take that killing machine. There was a real juicy case. Oh, shut up, Mom. Will you cut it out? Oh, I'm sorry, dearie. I keep forgetting you and she was so cruel. Well, that's all right. I'm jittery. Laverne, have you seen my boyfriend? Not tonight. Maybe he got bored. Billy, have you seen Nick? You know, the tall, handsome... Not tonight, redhead. I guess he's giving you the air. Come uh, on, come on off. What am I paying you for? Come on. Well, what's the matter, Jim? You look like you've seen a ghost. What are you looking for out there? What's so fascinating about the clock? Marino, they're not there. Where are those two flat feet? Don't you know about that? Never mind that now. Where are they? Called off. Called off? That sounds screwy to me, but police headquarters figures they frightened off whoever they was looking for. But that's crazy. I'm going to phone... I won't do no good. I told him that anybody would wait till it cooled off before trying again. Now is when we should have protection. Well, come on, get out on the floor. Come on, Ollie, out on the floor. All right, I'll be out in a second. Really, I will, Marino. Laverne. Yes, honey. As soon as Nick comes in, tell him to come right here. Tell him to tap on the door, will you? Sure enough, sugar. Hey, what are you looking at me like that for, Ginger? Look, Mom, I got to talk to you. I can't go out there on the floor. I'm scared. But what are you staring holes in me for? Mom, you and I were here in this room the last night Julie was alive. The night she must have been killed, remember? You poor kid. I always Look, like we you. gotta remember. We've just got to. There was someone dancing with Julie that night. Some rum-dum. Julie said something about him. I can't remember what it was she said. Oh, you mean the one that hurt her hand? That's it. That's it. Hurt her hand. Bent her wrist back when they were dancing. Yes, that's the guy. She said it was almost like as if he got a kick out of hurting her. Yeah. Seeing a squirm. Yeah, now what else? What else? Well, Julie called him a cement mixer. Oh, now we're getting somewhere, Mom. Think yeah. hard. Oh, he had Julie crazy dancing yeah. like a slap-happy pug. I remember her describing it. He'd take three little steps to the right as if he was getting ready for a stand and broad jump. That was it. Remember how Julie said she felt like screaming for Pete's sake, if you're gonna jump, jump. Yeah, three steps to the right, and if you're gonna jump, jump. Hey. What are you doing, Ginger? Some detective work? Getting some clues? You know who we're talking about, Mom? The killer. Yeah. Oh! If he enjoyed hurting her like that, when she was still alive, he'd enjoy dancing with her after she was dead. Oh, he's worse than prune face. Why, that... There's someone I gotta tell this to right away. Oh, where the... Nick! See you later, Mom. Hey. How's Ginger? Oh, Nick... How's Nick? Are you trembling? Sure, it's me. Why not? I thought you were called off the case. We were. Then what are you doing here? Habit. Do you mind? No, you dumb ape. I don't mind. Boy, how I don't mind. And uh, as long as it isn't duty anymore, do you mind if I do something to you that I've wanted to do for days? Well, it depends. 
I want to take you in my arms. All right, take me in your arms and dance. Anyway, for the time being. I'm a rotten dancer. You're telling me. Nick. Nick, we got to talk. I just found out something about the killer that you ought to know. Later. I paid Marina for all the dances to the end. We can leave whenever you want. After this song, they play Dinah, and then comes the break. We can leave then. What makes you so sure? Well, the band always plays a song in the same order. Then they can sleep while they work. I tell time by them. <laughs> Slimehouse Blues means it's 10.45. Lady was a tramp means 11.15. Dinah means 11.30. Never changes except when there's a request number. You know, I like everything about you. I like everything about you, but you're dancing. Let up on my hand, will you? You're bending it upside down. It hurts my wrist. I, uh, told you I was a rotten dancer. Well, for Pete's sake, don't dance like you were priming for a standing broad jump. If you're going to jump, jump. <gasps> That's not Dinah. No, certainly isn't. It's a request number. Who requested it? I did. What's the matter, baby? I look sick. I, 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 I feel just awful. I, I, I do feel sick. Am I dancing that bad? No, no, I just, I... Nick, I'll have to stop at the air, I guess. I'll, I'm going to get drink water, yeah. Drink water in the ladies' room. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll wait here for you. I'll just be a minute. Operator. Operator. Operator, give me the police department, homicide squad. Police department, homicide, right away. Hello, Homicide. This is Ginger Allen at Joyland. The third man you assigned to our place is... Third the, man? Uh, what third man? Nick Ballister, the one you assigned to protect me. We have no Nick Ballister, and there was no man assigned by us to protect you. It's the killer. He's taking me out with him. I don't know where to. Look, I'll, I'll leave a trail of ticket stubs. Please come quick. Ginger. Uh, uh, goodbye, uh, Katie. Uh, sorry you couldn't work tonight. I'll, I'll fix it with Marino. How you feeling? You shouldn't have come in here, Nick. Didn't you see the sign? All that? Men keep out, violator subject to arrest? <laughs> Didn't say positively. Besides, they wouldn't arrest a cop. Why couldn't you leave me in here alone? You were gone so long, I thought something had happened. Nothing's happened. Yet. Don't ask me how, but I kept up a patter while we walked. All my brains were in my right hand to clutch those ticket stubs in my coat pocket. I kept dropping those stubs, making sure he didn't see. I tried to stay on the bright streets, but he led me to the lonely ones. The one we were on now was like a graveyard. No lights, no people. Suddenly, I felt my blood run cold. My fingers in that right-hand pocket fished around like a drowning man clutching for straws. The last ticket stub was gone. Ginger. Yes, Nick? I'm, uh, I'm hungry. Would you like some chop suey? Like it? Oh, I'd love it. He ate that chop suey with an appetite, like a guy who had work to do. Work he was going to enjoy. I side-sneaked a glance at the jukebox without turning my head, you know, just my eyes. What a relief. All kinds of songs, but no poor butterfly. Mm. 
Nick was beginning to act nervous. He'd guzzle a cup of tea, pour another, keep looking over his shoulder like he was worried somebody might be following us. Then he'd grin like he used to and reach over for my hand. He pressed my fingers till they hurt. Hard, like he never pressed them before. I guess... I guess he couldn't wait. And suddenly he stood up. Ask the waiter for the check, Ginger. I'm just going to wash my hands. Then it's time we left. Hmm. Waiter. Waiter, quick. Yes, you mean. What will he be? I'm leaving. When my boyfriend comes out, tell him you think I went back to the, the, the powder room. A gag, you know, he's a deadbeat. I want to shake him. Maybe don't understand. <gasps> Marino, how did you get here? Mom saw me, and I followed your ticket stops. He almost saw me. Come on, quick. Marino, thank heaven you got here. Hurry up. <sighs> Marino, I, I can't run anymore. I'm, I won't last the block. You won't have to. There's a vacant house in the middle of the block. Here. Inside. Fast. I think I see him coming. It's all dark in here. Well, no one lives here. That's why. Here, I'll light this searchlight. Yeah. There's a stairway leading upstairs. Oh. Go ahead. Now, watch it now. Don't trip them. Yeah. Stairs is broken. Yeah. Now, to this door. Ooh. Here's a candle and a match. Yeah. Now we can see each other and wait. Do you think we're safe? We'll know in a few minutes. Oh, oh Marino. Yes, John? Oh, Tim. Put out that candle. Now hide. Back there. I'll take care of him. Ginger. <gasps> Tim. All right, you oh. act for it. We'll see you about that. from the beginning of the racket. Marino! Yeah. Yeah, Muriel. You think you could hide from me with different names and different faces? Marino! Uh, Why do you call me Muriel? What are you doing? Uh, I'm Ginger, don't you remember? I'm Ginger Allen. Uh, each time you tell me a different name, Muriel. But you can't get away by changing names. Marino! Yeah, the first time you changed your name was when you married me before I left for Europe with that operetta company. You remember? You all got to play poor butterfly oh. when you... Promise to love me forever. Help me. Somebody help me. Yeah, well, the next time you changed your name was when you thought I was dead. Lived on my insurance and married another man. Oh, please. No matter how many times you change your name, Uriel, I'll find you. (laughs) No, not me. You killed her. You killed her, Marino, again and again. You only killed her last month, Marino. Each time I think I have, she rises again. This time I'm going to kill you and your lover. This is the last time. Nick! And now we dance. Now we dance. Here, here we are dying. The road you were And now we dance. And then you... You just must die. 
How's Ginger? Oh, Nick. Oh, Nick. I thought he killed you. I got an awfully hard head. Police will be here in just a minute. Oh, Nick. How do you fit into this? Headquarters never heard of you. They were instructed to say that in case you called. Well, what was the idea scaring me to death? Well, I figured Marina would follow Ginger and her boyfriend once he thought the police were off the case. And when he did, I had to have you thinking I was the killer, so you'd run off with him willingly. Why, you no good... It was the only way to find his hideout and the evidence we need. The phonograph, the record, and the attempted murder. At my expense, you big piece of... Another thing. How'd you know about dancing like a broad jumper and turning up my wrist? Oh... I listened outside the door to you and Mom talking about that in the dressing room tonight. Oh. Gave me a couple of neat pointers. Yeah. I put them together with poor butterfly so I could scare the daylights out of you. Oh, you did, too. I ought to ring your... Oh, calm down. <laughs> no wife of mine is going to have a red-headed temper. Wife of yours? You'll do anything to learn how to dance, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks that way. No wonder you didn't want me to dye my hair. You wanted that nice... Premature gray color. And so closes Dime a Dance, presented by Roma Wines, and starring Lucille Ball, tonight's tale of Suspense. In just a moment, we'll hear again from Miss Ball. First, though, let's visit a glamorous casino somewhere on the sunny Caribbean. Smartly dressed people stroll about the gardens. The strains of a Cuban song float out. Two men watch from a table on the terrace. One is a Cuban, the other a North American. One is about to propose a toast. To your beautiful country, Jose. I drink to that. Now I propose a toast. To this wine in which we drink our toast. It comes from North America, from California. Its name is Roma. Only a few places in the world produce wines so fine that many countries enjoy them. And among these enjoyable wines are Roma wines. For they come from vineyard districts that are among the finest in the world, our own sunny California. What better testimonial to the quality of Roma wines could you ask than the fact that Roma wines are made in California... For the enjoyment of the world. There is a fine Roma wine for you, whether your taste calls for a sherry, a burgundy, or sauterne. And no matter what type of Roma wine you buy, you know you're receiving a truly fine wine at a price made possible because Roma wines are the overwhelming favorite of Americans, America's largest selling wines. Ask your dealer to show you his assortment of Roma wines tomorrow and choose your favorite, Roma R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Remember, this is the year of decision, and that means that this year, more than ever before, we should all buy more and even more war bonds and stamps. This is Lucille Ball. It's been a great pleasure to appear on Suspense this evening. Next week, I know you'll want to be listening, as I certainly will, to a very wonderful actor, Mr. Paul Lucas, who will appear in a suspense play called 
A world of darkness. Thank you, Miss Ball. Lucille Ball appeared tonight through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of Madame Curie. Don't forget, then, next Thursday, same time, for Paul Lucas in Suspense. Presented by Roma Wine. R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. That was Dime a Dance from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That is our second in our series of Suspense-O-Rama as we head into our 200th episode. We are doing five suspenses in a row that were listener requests. As Joshua has pointed out, we've had a lot of suspense requests, so we're not only getting a lot of those checked off, but also heading into a, a celebratory 200th episode of our podcast. And that request came to us from Kitty. Thanks, Kitty. Let's start this conversation off with this. This is a classic. This is one of the best episodes of radio drama I've ever heard. It is top 10 for sure. There. Now we know where I'm heading. And now you guys can just go ahead and talk about it. I'm out. <laughs> God, I loved it. I like it a lot, too. There are some amazing moments of radio in here, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I think there are one or two clunker moments with the script, but the production, I think, is an example of suspense at its very best. Let me just start by mentioning one of those production qualities, and that is just the entire opening. I think it's about five minutes. It's the hook. It's before we've gone to a Roma wine commercial or anything. And just all of the sound that is layered in. Yes. The dialogue and performances, the band in the background, the chorus of female voices backstage getting ready to hit the dance floor, and the boss man rapping on the door and yelling at the ladies. You can just see the whole place. You can yeah. see their dresses hanging places. You can smell the foot powder. It's just a perfect example. I could excerpt this to try to explain what is the magic of old time radio and an example of theater of the mind, because yep. you can see it, smell it. Every other sense yep. is engaged in that scene. Plus there's all sorts of really significant narrative information uh, being given to the listener all at the same time. It's seamless how we move from the street to the front door, to inside, to the main floor, to the dressing room. You are walking with Lucille Ball through this set. It is so expertly done. Uh, I would also like to point out it's not only production value as far as the Foley and, the, and all of those things, but in order for things like that to work, it also requires performance. And Lucille Ball is just so good of making it feel like you're with someone and not an actor performing as a character. She's really good at matching that tone that suspense is generating of this gritty, visceral, underbelly of society, seedy mm. dance hall. And I will say this, I've said this in the last Lucille Ball one we did, there's always that thing with famous people 
where for a few seconds, like that's Lucille ball. So you have these seconds of, Oh, she's going to yell Ricky any minute, you know? And then, (laughs) but then her ability as an actor takes over. And even though it's the same voice, Lucy disappears Mm -hmm. and this character is now entrenched and I no longer hear that voice. Also testimony to her. And that's one of the strengths of the script is establishing that character so quickly as being so sympathetic and even if we don't know right from the top that she is a potential victim, that she's in a perilous situation. Yeah. She also puts across that she's tough and smart, clever and funny with her retorts to the boss too. So it's just overall a really appealing package that makes you, like Tim says, care about her because it's suspense and you know very shortly she's going to be in a lot of trouble because the script gives her the great opening line about have you ever danced with a murderer so you you, we do know (laughs) right to put a little flag on i I agree with joshua that there's some clunky bits to the the plot specifically and the classic suspense twist at the end is kind of meh but that's not to say that the script is not unequal to everything else there are some parts of the script that i think are amazing and really contribute to the overall uh, impact of the show one spot where the production and the script come together is the effectiveness of that piece of music that keeps getting repeated. Yeah. Poor Butterfly. Yeah. Which is a song, weirdly, I had never heard before. So I was like, what is this? Did they write the song for the show? And then no. I, you know, I jumped into my research. I'm like, how did this standard, and you know me in standards, that's mm-hmm. all I listen to. How did Poor Butterfly, the standard, elude me all these years? I'd never heard it before. Now I've heard 17 versions of it because I did that. (laughs) Duke Ellington and many others. And you're so right, Tim, that that upbeat, happy song becomes morose and terrifying. And it's from the get-go of when on the the crime scene and they start playing the music and Lucille Ball's character reacts so strongly. uh, What that implies, that bit of music being played on her uh, phonograph. Do you know what else is a really cool thing that isn't necessary to anything? Well, it kind of is. So the idea that they say she used a bamboo needle mm-hmm. to keep the volume down so she wouldn't, her neighbors wouldn't get mad when she played a phonograph, which is a whole other thing that I blew my mind. Like, what? What is, what are we talking about? Bamboo needles, you know, things that are lost in the past and in history. But all right. So now we've learned that a bamboo needle makes it quieter. Okay. I guess necessary to the point of that's why the neighbors didn't hear what was going on in there, but not really that necessary except for this. Now that you have established it's a bamboo needle, when they play poor butterfly on the phonograph, because it's a bamboo needle, it's creepy and crunchy and distant. They examined the needle and had been worn down, which implied like this has been played several times. Right. The other work the bamboo needle does for the play is that it immediately tells you that she lives in a tiny hole in the wall, cheap apartment, thin walls, everyone packed in on each other. And she's works in a dance hall. So she comes home late and she wants to play music after other people might be in bed. And so it just, it paints this whole life just with yeah. a bamboo needle. Yeah. That's a really good point, Joshua. Like, they told me all that with one detail. Mm-hmm. Well, that and we know her life, so we can assume things like that. Yeah, man, great point. Here's an example of strange bits that are in the script with these beautiful magical moments. And I'm going to admit, caveat right here, I may be being harder 
on these bits because the rest of it is so good. But it's a strange moment when Ginger reacts to the record and says, no, Julie hated that song. It's kind of a red herring. It made me think that there was something very specific to that song. Or it's just a coincidence that the murderer happens to be using the one song that Julie has talked about. I understand exactly what you're saying. I think it's plot-wise, writing-wise, a way to firmly establish she was not listening to this voluntarily. Exactly. But compared to some of the nice, subtle beats like the bamboo needle, it's that's what I mean by there are those yeah. moments that are a little ham-fisted compared yeah. to other very elegant moments in the script. Yeah. For me, that was part of the subtext of this story that they pull back at the very end. But I, I don't think I'm working too hard to imagine it of how close these two women were, how much a deal is made of she doesn't have a boyfriend, she doesn't want to talk about her boyfriend, uh, how upset she is when she goes missing. Uh, they seemed like they were a couple up until the end, which you know, still maybe she's bi, you never know, but um, of when like, okay, we've solved this murder, I've abused you all night, marry me. She never says yes. And so in my head, she's just, you know, making jokes, pulling herself together. We cut to the Roma wine commercial and she just tells him to go straight to hell. <laughs> it's so true, Joshua. The typical way would be, you know, when he says, you know, wife of mine. Oh, the she doesn't swooning. swoon. Yes, she doesn't she, swoon yeah. and say, oh, my God, yes, I'll marry you. She just kind of says, yeah, okay. Okay, slow down there. All right. So one of the notes I made was about the ending, which was my clunky moment that I completely forgave because everything else was so great. A, the reveal of, well, I was listening outside your door. That's how I got the information. I got really ham-fisted. You didn't need to give me all that explanation. You didn't. It could have ended with, I thought you were dead. Well, I have a hard head and I killed a guy. Dun, 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 you know, the rest from that point on is unnecessary, including getting into the I actually fell in love with you. Will you marry me? That sappy, sweet kind of ending. The reason I think that they added it and didn't end it with thanks for saving my life and, <laughs> you know, all of that is because it's so horrific to listen to that scene in the room where she's being attacked and you don't know by who. I will get into the whole production of that and the timing of that, but it is gross to the point where she even says, I'm going to be, she doesn't say this, but alludes to you use me as bait. I'm going to be scarred for life. I'm glad you got them, but my God, I think you guys that the sappy ending that isn't necessary was added by someone who went, Hey, we can't leave them with that taste in their mouth. We got to give them something nice, something joyful and that she's going to be okay and not have 25 years of therapy which she will by the way <laughs> yeah i don't think i have a problem with the ending because it's not sappy i feel like there's a danger of reading it the way we read other old-time radio scripts and i think there's something more complex going on under right. it i don't know that it's a suggestion of a lesbian relationship but it is at least an intentional undermining of a conventional romantic bow at the end of a story. It, it does soften him. He's kind of supposed to be the hero, but he also did something really awful. I mean, put her in jeopardy and also terrorized her. And one of the plot problems there is in the universe of the story, for his plan to work, there was no reason to not include her in it. 
She has proven to be very smart and savvy. The only reason not to include her in on this is to keep the audience in suspense. Like they needed to give us an in-universe reason why he couldn't have told her and got her to help him. His plan would have been more solid with her help in it. And so that's one of the problems of the script. Obviously, I know if she'd known it, she's the first person narrator. She would tell all the listeners and all of our suspense would be gone. Right. Oh, and I also want to say something about Lucille Ball's performance. Might be one of my favorite radio performances is those post-attack moments because she plays it as if she's having this completely 100% relatable physiological response to what she's just been through. She's not hysterical. She's still very sharp. She's asking all these pertinent questions about, wait, what just happened? Why didn't you tell me? How did you know? But the whole time she's slowly de-escalating from this physical hysterical response, but her intellect isn't engaged in that hysteria. Yeah, That's a nice point to make because they keep establishing over and over in the story how experienced she is in dealing with aggressive behavior. That she always has to deal with people being too handsy or just not respecting her boundaries that she is not new to a potentially dangerous situation. Yeah, and she just lets us listen to her pull herself together in a really realistic way from what just happened. She doesn't just snap out of it. But we also admire her because she doesn't need too much time. You're like, that's her. She's smart. She's figured this out. She's mad. You should be mad. Give it to him. <laughs> you know, like, so it's this perfect mix of realism and heroic escapism. But yes, this, this ending beat has problems. I don't want us to dwell on that forever because that's like a tiny percentage of the whole show and all the awesome things in it. You know how in Law & Order, if someone is accused of a crime and you look up at the clock and it's, you know, you're 20 minutes in, well, obviously he's not the murderer. <laughs> <laughs> in suspense, and in this episode, when they reveal to you this guy is faking being a cop and then he plays the song, bends her hand back, takes her out of there, starts walking down the street, takes her out for chop suey. That whole thing, you could be going, oh no, this guy set her up and pretended to be a cop, except for the fact how much time was left in the show. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I went, it can't be that. A little interaction there that, which I acknowledge technically and it must be necessary, but it threw me into that skepticism when she called the police department and they instantly knew who she was, what she was talking about. Like, no, we don't know him. <laughs> like, how big is your police department that you know everyone who is and is not a member of it? Well, we don't know. What town is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you were supposed to be a bit suspect of this right. as a twist, but I don't think you knew exactly how it's going to play out. So, well, then what happens is when the other cop comes and gets her, you immediately, and I wrote it down in my notes in big letters, oh, no, 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 it's that guy. That's the guy. So you immediately know because of how much time is left, and he starts running her down and puts her in a room with a candle, like, that's the bad guy. You don't get the beautiful aha moment, uh, usual suspect, six cents, <laughs> you know, those movies or that moment where he goes, and it was me, and you go, what? I listened a couple times, but... Marino, he worked for the club, is that? No, Marino's the guy at the top who runs the club. Ah. Yeah, he knew who the cops were. I had trouble tracking his 
place the story myself. And ah. part of, I think, the confusion is once he reveals himself as the killer, he goes into crazy voice mode and he alters the tone. Right. And they put the one clue right at the top that it's Marino when they're talking about where's Julie, mom from backstage says like, and she's been spending a lot of time with Marino. I don't know why it got into my head that he was one of the detectives at the top, Marino. Nope. Doesn't matter. I still enjoyed it, even though I got it wrong again. <laughs> I very much want to talk about that scene where he comes up the stairs, Nick comes up the stairs, Marino says, shh, here he comes, till the end. The quiet, the footsteps, the no music, the breathing of Lucille Ball, you, you hear her calling out, her screaming, the fighting in the dark, you don't know who's won, then her being attacked by Marino and her oh, attacking yeah, she's back. crying and begging and they've got the poor butterfly playing again and uh, yep. the gunshots and the screams and the record scratch and yep it feels agonizingly long but it's really seconds that two minutes or whatever it was is some of the best horror suspense radio I've ever heard it is a terrible place to be and it was really difficult to listen to her getting beat up really yeah. difficult it's great radio, but I, I'm mad at them because I could picture it. <laughs> so kudos. The, uh, skillful thing they pulled off, too, of making what's happening ambiguous and mysterious, but never confusing. Like, you know, they're fighting is what's happening. And yep. you know, he's not gentle because in the murder scene, they say Julie was strangled, but there's blood on the floor. Right. Clearly, he dragged her dancing back and forth across the floor so many times, either pre-murder or post-murder. So they've already painted that horrible picture in your head. Uh, so then when you're hearing it happen, it adds to the uh, violence in your mind. Yes, exactly. There's blood everywhere. That freaked me out. Yeah, just to talk about all the blood and then the detective was just looking around the room. So I got the impression they had cleaned up a little bit, uh, but he was visually indicating there was blood there, there was blood there, there was blood there. Yeah. And Ugh. the uh, collection of dimes was... Yes. Another, like that's a really upsetting detail. That's the thing. He could have been a guy that killed these girls, followed him home, killed him. The details of giving him dimes, playing the song, dancing with them after they're dead. Whoo, we've entered a whole world of psychological horror and terror that isn't necessary to the plot, but certainly makes things more terrifying. It's interesting, too, that Suspense, and particularly Cornell Woolrich, writes this with such a sympathetic ear toward the female characters. Having to deal day in, day out with working at this dance hall, often they were fronts for prostitution as well. Yeah. And that makes it extra disturbing. But Cornell Woolrich was known for the time period of having stronger female protagonists in his work. And great casting, because no one played that better than Lucille Ball, even in her comedy. When I was listening to this episode afterwards, I thought, like, if this is all I knew about Lucille Ball and someone said, she's going to do some comedy, I would say, no way. Yeah, right? <laughs> There's something about Lucille Ball that just emits a confidence and a strength that comes through. And that's a weird thing to say when you talk about the Lucy show, because you think, no, that is a, a hapless sad sack. First of all, it's the resiliency. I'm going to get in the show. <laughs> She's resilient, very confident. It's a perfect casting for this character, for this show, for what but was written. 
I like that that somehow in 1944, I think dishes had a lot more value than they do today because that that line about like <laughs> no one would be interested in your chassis even if they threw in some free dishes. Uh, <laughs> I think there was a huge run for a while, especially in the 40s, of opening up bank accounts or credit cards with gas stations and stuff like that. You got free dish sets. That oh. was a huge giveaway item to get you to sign up for things again it doesn't really undermine my point that dishes <laughs> had far more value because that would not motivate me to do anything today more dishes really <laughs> no thank you i have tried my whole life to convince my wife that we need four plates four glasses four knives four spoons she won't listen to me <laughs> uh, we, have, we have 80 of everything there's also some good old-fashioned derogatory uh, ethnic slur in here that slips by with the garlic eaters. Oh, yeah. Mm. I wrote it down. Is it of the time that Italian men frequented these places? Is that what the deal is? They probably just thought it was uh, doing double duty. Hey, we're taking a swipe at the Italians, and it's a funny joke about bad breath. Well, let's not also forget it's 1944. So Italians, uh, uh, not Italian-Americans, but Italians, Italians were not top of the list of light in the country yep. at that time. I've been Although, watching season four of Fargo recently, which deals with the racism towards Italians and blacks kind of a little before the 1940s. Yeah. But it also deals with credit cards. Um, so the, the whole conversation comes around. I don't know if anyone gets any dishes out of it, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, any other final thoughts on this, boys? Rum dumb is an expression I'd like to bring back. (laughs) (laughs) You're rum dumb. Oh, there is this interesting caveat. The other girls in the dressing room, that was some heavy, 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 heavy character work going on. A couple of them, I believe, were from Munchkin land. (laughs) They successfully um, differentiated all the voices, so oh, I'll give them that. Mom, I don't know what accent mom is doing. <laughs> it's all over the place, but you certainly knew she was talking, but that was a weird... Oh, but just I love the character, the old lady who's there in the back to make sure the girls have everything they need and yep. basically just sits there. I imagine just yep. sitting there doing nothing and just scaring them. My, ki- <laughs> my kind of job. Someone paid me to do that kiss this podcast goodbye <laughs> <laughs> no i wouldn't all right like a that business could come back of you could dance with a little lady for 10 cents <laughs> 10 cents isn't much but it's also you're like, yeah you're just gonna dance for his home you, you know, know it's just nice dancing <laughs> yeah josh was right though i mean there was a very not talked about thing that it wasn't just nice dancing and they <laughs> wasn't just a dime <laughs> Marino even says to her when she's just hanging out with uh, Nick the cop, like, eh, you got to spread it around, spread the wealth. And so it has all that really oogie, unfortunate language to it, that they're a commodity and they're there to be spread around. I I like Tim's thought, though, like, wouldn't it be nice if you paid dime? Just have a nice, pleasant, ungross dance with somebody. (laughs) Like hands on hips, eight inches apart. Yeah, just like, thank you. Rock back and forth a little bit. Thank you for validating my existence for two minutes. And <laughs> Here's the time. <laughs> All right, vote time. I've already said mine, and I stand by it. Classic, stands the test of time. Just a beautiful job. I loved every minute of it, especially when we get to the room 
at the end and that three minutes is some of the best radio i've ever heard uh and lucille ball is brilliant so that's it yeah i agree with you i i will also call it a classic a little begrudgingly because i usually love script above all else and what really really makes this a classic is performance and the production the script has a couple sour notes and some quite good things but particularly the production is so successful it's worth for any student of audio drama to hear this and that's a great way to put it timmy production wise this thing is flawless yeah i can't argue with the production side of this and the casting side of it lucille ball is just perfect in this but like tim i'm a script guy and i just have a hard time over some of the clunky dialogue we didn't even talk about the whole repeating word for word what she had just said to uh, mom backstage about when I say jump, jump, as if she totally forgot saying those exact words two minutes ago. And that a little bit goes on the production side. I think that's a director who should have, if she's going to repeat the lines exactly, they shouldn't have been repeated as if she remembers it after she says it, but right. kind of says it in a way of processing it. But that I thought just pulled me out of it. And again, to complement the script, it pulled me out of it so dramatically because the rest of it is so good. It's a little schizophrenic like that. So I can't quite give it classic because of that, but it is a great piece of radio drama. It is a fascinating piece of history uh, with the dance hall. Yeah. And it is a really interesting piece of old time radio because of how female centric it is and how it subverts a lot of stereotypes of female characters that are not just in old radio at the time, but definitely in suspense at the time. Ultimately, Ginger has to be rescued, but because it's such a realistic situation, the rescue feels like it was legitimately needed, not just because she was a woman. <laughs> it took the two of them together <laughs> to stop this guy. Right. Well, and she needed rescuing because the male hero put her in harm's way. <laughs> that is true too. Left her own devices, she could have dyed her hair and been fine. Lived a yeah. nice, long, happy life. I do think during the Roma wine commercial, she kicks Nick in the groin really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think they got married, and um... she spent her whole life kicking him in the groin. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. Fine. All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishlights.com. Have you heard? It is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. Uh, it's a great way to get a hold of us. If you have episodes of suspense you want to add to our incredibly long list of suspense episodes or any episode you want us to listen to, we'll add it to the list. You can also get links there to our social media pages, participate in conversation either there or in the comment section of episodes. We are available on all kinds of podcasting services, including Spotify. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. We've got monthly members only podcasts. We've got monthly Zoom happy hours that we're doing with our patrons. Um, this month, I believe we are all getting together on Zoom to discuss an episode of Suspense, fittingly enough. One of the 60-minute episodes uh, in a lonely place. So uh, become a member and join us for that discussion. And if you'd like to see or hear us, I should say, perform live, we do original radio dramas and recreations of a the original broadcast with the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society on stage. Uh, you can get tickets by going to 
parksquaretheater.org. We do shows with them monthly. Um, we record them together, and then we do the intro. And you listen like uh, old-timey times. You gather around the computer and listen to our radio program. And then we stick around for some Q&A, which seems to be popular. Tickets are cheap, and just go to parksquaretheater.org and see our next performance dates and purchase a ticket that way, and you'll get your link for the night of the performance. Uh, all right, what's coming up next? Next, we will be listening to Roiba Shinka. Until then... Look out! That's the way I am, girlies. What I like every once in a while is a good, juicy night. All right, lay off.